0: bit we'll be primarily in chapter one today uh we are calling our message home for christmas if you uh, like to write things down and follow an outline there's one of those in your program or you can ignore it whatever you'd like um uh, But I do want to just once more mention uh, our brother Larry Bailey, who so faithfully writes those companion articles. I'm so thankful for you, Larry, and your faithfulness, and I commend those articles to you that uh, go along with the text each week. Um, Christmas, near Christmas, on December 17th of 1903, after four attempts The Wright brothers flew their flying machine for the very first time. Wilbur rushed to the local telegraph office and sent the following message. We've flown for 57 seconds. We'll be home for Christmas. Upon receiving the telegram, their sister, Catherine, went to the local newspaper office and told them the news. And two days later, the local Dayton paper placed this following headline on page six. Wright Brothers, home for Christmas. Amazingly, being home for Christmas trumped their amazing flight feat. Sure, they were the first to fly. But in their hometown, it was even more important that they were coming home. I've been asked numerous times over the last couple of weeks, are you going home for Christmas? I've asked other people that same question, are you going home for Christmas? You know, there's something deep within each of us that longs to belong to a place called home. And so some of you this week have come home for Christmas. Others of us have gone away. We're not here today because they're going somewhere else home for Christmas. You know, the local stores this time of year, they're all playing Christmas music, aren't they? Several local radio stations are broadcasting Christmas music 24 hours a day, seven days a week. One thing I've noticed is how many of those songs speak of yearning. I'll be home for Christmas. That was written during World War II and it captures the the longing to be home, especially for for soldiers serving overseas. Even if they couldn't come home, they would be there in their dreams. How about I'm dreaming of a white Christmas? That speaks of a time long ago when our expectations of a, a white and a wonderful Christmas were met. Or were they? You know, our songs and our sentiments often speak of a yearning for what we have yet to experience or as one person said, the longing for things that never happened. You know, it's no secret that not everyone is merry about Christmas. Is that right? The Christmas season can function kind of like a time machine for many of us, taking, back, taking us back to every other Christmas that we spent on this earth. For some, it's uh, you know, the smell of pine or the taste of roast turkey or mom and dad sitting around in their bathrobes sipping coffee as the kids chase the new puppy through a sea of, of wrapping paper. But for others, this season perhaps is a reminder of the way life should have been, but never was. Those that were looking all their lives, perhaps through other people's windows at scenes of what seemed to be domestic bliss, but never as an insider. And so some of us can't wait to go home for Christmas, and yet others are afraid to be with family because home perhaps is not a happy place. Some are dreading that day, christmas day because a loved one will be missing and so you might be happy and merry or you might feel horrible in this christmas season christmas might be warm or just plain weird your home might be beautiful or it might be broken you might be filled with delight or you're already preparing to be disappointed Author John Ortberg suggests that there's the home that we long for and the home we have. And there's always a gap between them. That really resonates with me. You know, in the scripture accounts, we know that nearly everyone was far away from home right Joseph and Mary they were away from their home that very first christmas in Matthew chapter 1 in verse 20 Joseph is told to take Mary home as his wife but that didn't last very long because they had to flee their home under threat of death and head to Bethlehem the shepherds because of the nature of their field work they were far from their families and homes. And the wise men, how about them? They traveled a great distance away from their homes so that they could be there to worship King Jesus. The family of Jesus set up their home in Bethlehem for a short while, but then they had to flee to Egypt and then back to Judea, and they finally end up in Nazareth. And then years later, Jesus makes Capernaum, his home base, But then we know that during his ministry, the the scripture tells us that Jesus had no place to lay his head. He didn't really have a home. And then of course, finally, Jesus himself was far from home because he was here on this earth. He came all the way from his home in heaven to bless us. Because we all long for a home The reality is, we will all be homeless until we find our home with God. And there's a longing, I believe, inside each one of us that no human home can fully satisfy. This week, as I was preparing the message, I just did a little bit of uh, research, and I found that the word home was used somewhere around 186 different times in the Bible. I'm not gonna read them all to you, don't worry. Then as I was kind of looking further, I saw that uh, we can kind of make a distinction between uh, the Old Testament home, picture of home, and the New Testament one. And so I wanna break it up into those two this morning. Let's look first at a few passages from the Old Testament where we learn first that we are homesick for God. We are homesick for God. You know, ever since Adam and Eve had to leave the Garden of Eden. There's been a deep homesickness inside each of our souls, a deep longing. We can trace that all the way through the history of the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 8, we read about Noah. Remember Noah? And he set a dove free from the ark after the 40-day flood. But it says the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water over all the earth. And Interestingly, that phrase, set its feet, in Hebrew, literally means home. Home. I think that's a really cool description of home. We're looking for security. Not just a place for our feet, but a place of safety. Safety for our souls. The psalmist observes the sparrows and swallows finding homes. And he longs for that same sense of security. In Psalm 84 in verse three, it's almost as if he's jealous of the birds because they have unlimited access to the home of the Holy One. Listen to this. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are praising you. Isn't that a great picture of home? Dwelling in the presence of the Lord. In Psalm 90 and verse 1, Moses, Moses who spent much of his life wandering in the wilderness declares that home is where God is. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. God himself is home for Moses. In Psalm 91, it echoes that same sentiment. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I rest. Isn't that a great picture of home and safety and security? And then the very last verse of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter four and verse six. It pictures a day in which houses are transformed into homes when the hearts of fathers are turned toward their children, the hearts of children toward their fathers. Do you see the picture of home there? Because we are homesick for God, our Christmas celebrations, no matter how grand they are, are often incomplete Even if we could return to a place where everything seemed complete, we would find something or someone is always missing. Author Martin Copenhaver writes about this. He says this, we are homesick, not for some home of our past, but for a home we have never seen and cannot readily imagine. This is something more than nostalgia. And more profound as well, because what we long for is not merely a Christmas from our past, but a gathering up of our past, present, and future into a harmony that is not achieved in the days of our lives. What we long for is to have the broken and scattered pieces brought together. In ways that are, we are unable to do so. And that is why I've concluded that our homesickness is in some way a yearning for God. And so we are homesick for God. Now, if the Old Testament shows our homesickness for God, a case could be made then that the New Testament depicts God as homesick for us. Think about that for a moment. At its core, that's really what Christmas is all about. John chapter one in verse 14 is one of the most startling verses in the Bible. Let's read this passage together from the screen here. John 1, 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. God's word. God makes his dwelling with us. Well, a grandfather was visiting his little granddaughter on one Christmas when he walked into the family room, and he saw the toddler standing up in her playpen crying. Her face, of course, was red and tear-stained, and when little Lily saw her grandpa, her face lit up, and her hands reached out for help as she pleaded, out, Papa, out. Well, what grandfather could resist that plea? And so he walked over to the playpen, and he reached down to lift up his little angel out of captivity. Just then, though, law and order stepped into the room with a dish towel in her hand and spoke sternly. Lily, you know better. You're in time out. Leave her right there, Dad. And she went back into the kitchen. Well, Grandpa didn't know what to do. Lily's tears, her outstretched hands, tugging at his heart. But he didn't want to interfere with a mother's discipline either. He couldn't... He couldn't stand being in the room, not being able to do anything, but he couldn't leave because he'd feel like a traitor to his granddaughter. But then grandpa had an idea. Since he couldn't take Lily out of the playpen, he decided to climb in with her. Isn't that an awesome story? And you know, friends, that's a, an awfully good picture of what Jesus did for you and for me. He climbed in with us. The first part of verse 14 says, the word became flesh. That is the single most unique quality of Christianity that makes it different from any other religion. God becomes flesh. The Message Bible, a modern translation, puts it this way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I like that. The NIV says that Jesus made his dwelling among us. Which literally means, that word dwelling means to make one's tent. So to say that Jesus pitched a tent... That implies that he wants to be on familiar terms with us. He wants to be close by us. He wants interaction, dwelling, dwelling among us. That word dwelling is the same word used for tabernacle in the Old Testament. You remember that? That the tabernacle was a portable tent where the glory of God dwelt in the days before the temple was built in Jerusalem. God dwelt among us. You know, after spending three years with Jesus, his disciples had finally found a home in him, right? The security, the safety of Jesus, dwelling with them physically all the time. Being with him gave them a sense of belonging and identity and purpose, And then all of a sudden in John 14, Jesus announces that he's leaving them. What's that about? And it really shakes them up. And so he says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And then he goes on to tell them about a home. A home that he is going to prepare for them. Listen to these words. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Isn't that a magnificent picture? And at its root, do you know what those words are? They're they're really wedding words. Wedding words. Jesus is the groom. And he is making a place ready for his bride. You see, friends, we are the bride, the church that has been bought with a price. And when the time is right, he will take us to that home that he's prepared for us. Where we can be with him Forever. That is the promise of our Lord Jesus. And there's only one way to get there, and that is to move from the cradle of Christmas to the cross of Calvary. Jesus said it like this in verse 6 of chapter 14 I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus went to the cross. So that we could come home for Christmas. Later in this same chapter, Jesus spoke these stunning words in verse 23 of chapter 14 If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. God wants to make his home in your life and in my life and when we trust and obey him he does come and make his home in our hearts you know it's an interesting irony isn't it that Jesus has prepared a place for us a room for us if you will when there was no room for him when he was born despite the fact that we kick Jesus out of the world, Jesus invites and invites and invites us to come to his home. Jesus said that there is a place for those who believe in him. In fact, he left the disciples in order to get some rooms ready for them. And so friends, we are all searching for home. But part of the problem is that many of us are too tied to this place. We often think that this is the land of the living and that when we die, we go to the land of the dead. But that is the opposite of the real truth. And the real truth is that this is the land of the homeless. The land of homelessness. And when our life here is over, we are transferred to another abode, another living place. And it's either a home of eternal joy or a place of permanent separation from God and all that is good. There are really only two possible destinations. The Apostle Paul clearly understood where home was when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 6, As long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You see, Christmas is all about God's homecoming. We couldn't get to God, and so God got to us. One of the titles for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the creator of the universe came home to creation. God chose to be with us, to live in our neighborhood, so that one day we can live with him in our heavenly home. Lee C. Bishop is an army doctor and he was stationed at Bagram Airfield in Afghanistan on Christmas Eve of 2008. In the dim light of dusk, he watched as a procession of military vehicles approached the airfield, came to a stop, and carefully unloaded a flag-draped steel casket. And he knew that somewhere back in the United States, a family was going to suffer a Christmas homecoming that no one wanted. It was a heartbreaking scene for Dr. Bishop to take in and one all too familiar in the midst of war. But then another scene from that Christmas Eve in an article for Christianity Today magazine entitled Christmas in Afghanistan. Dr. Bishop writes these words. He says, after watching the casket be unloaded from the military vehicle, I find myself walking along the main avenue of Bagram Airfield. All is different. Soldiers holding candles are belting out Christmas carols with gusto. Down the street, luminaries brighten the walkway into the clamshell-shaped temporary auditorium where cheerful groups of uniformed men and women enter for a Christmas concert. And just two blocks away, the chapel tents are filled to brimming for the six o'clock Christmas Eve service. He writes, "Jesus." did not come just to provide an occasion to sing carols, drink toasts, feast, and exchange gifts. But we are right to do those things, even as soldiers die and families grieve, because he came. And in his coming, he brought joy and peace, the joy that overcomes our sorrows. And the only kind of peace that ultimately matters. It's the peace of which the end of all wars, terrible as they are, is merely one token. It's the peace that means the long war between the heart and its maker is over. It's a peace treaty offered in Bethlehem and signed in blood on Calvary not that a powerful recollection? And so Dr. Bishop concludes and he says, so joy to the world and to every celebrating or grieving or hurting soul in it. The Lord has come. Let heaven and nature and even those who stand watch with lighted candles in the light of the shadow of death sing. You see, friends, Christmas is telling us that we could never get to heaven on our own. God had to come to us. And so this morning, I ask this to you. What about you? Do you want to be home for Christmas? Then come home. Come home to Christ. You will remain unfulfilled and restless and homesick until God becomes your dwelling place and you find your home in him. And so the invitation is to come home to Jesus. And the the good news is that we don't have to find our way home. Emmanuel, God with us, has found his way to us. That is The true meaning of coming home for Christmas. Will you pray with me?